Well, first of all, I should start by saying welcome to the show. Uh, we're we're going to be playing a clip very soon, but I want to just do some errors and omissions before I even begin the show of the review today because uh, some of you have sent me some tweets, and I want to thank you so much in an email from some of our listeners who gave me some corrections because I obviously can't do my mathematics. Uh, I was correct in terms of my sum summarization, but... The stuff that the data I was giving you was incorrect. Uh, regards to my last review or our last review of Solo, they were like, uh, I, I said, uh, I was talking about Adrian Brody and I mentioned that uh, in 96, when he did the film, it was one of his earlier films. It was basically, it was his commercial breakthrough film and he, he became well known or he established himself winning the Oscar in The Pianist, which was in 2002. That was only six years. And then he went on to do Predators, in tw Predators Plural in 2010. And that was um, that, and that was 14 years. So from, from 96 to 2010, that's actually 14 years. Uh, and it's six years between Solo to The Pianist, because that's when he won it in 2002. So I was saying 8 and 8, which is 16. But in my mind, it's actually, I know it was 14. I just had a, a, a gap in logic in terms of mathematics. But... Yes, and I also mentioned too. Someone pointed out that I said he's worked he's worked as an actor for over twenty years, which is true. Uh, to be more specific, uh, he's been acting since eighty nine. He's been so, which means he's been acting to this date thirty three years as an actor. So I want to make sure because twenty years is undercutting his tenure as an actor, and I should give him the props that that he deserves. And the reason why I'm bringing this up too is because I'm looking forward uh, to uh, next month's. HBO series winning. Uh, it's he's going to he is going to play Pat Riley uh, in a show called Winning Time: The Rise of a Lakers Dynasty. Uh, it is a ten episode series. It's going to be on HBO Max. Actually, looking forward to watching it. Um, I was never really a basketball fan until maybe a little later in life. I think in my early adolescence, I wasn't much of a fan of basketball. I didn't play basketball. In fact, I was I was, I was really bad at it um, to end up kind of punctures a hole in the stereotype, I guess. But it wasn't until I was like, you know, spending a lot of summers in London, England, and I was watching uh, Jordan uh, against, the, it was the finals uh, against the um, Utah Jazz. And it was, I was there, I was in England uh, for two summers. Uh, and I forgot, I don't tell me what, I can't tell you what year they were, but like they were the late, sorry, the Chicago Bulls were fighting against the uh, Utah Jazz two years back to back for the uh, NBA finals. And in, in, and in England back then, um, they, they showed the champ, oh, they, sorry, they, they were showing you the finals, but rather than showing you the entire game as is, they would trim it down to one hour. So before we had specialty channels here where you have the Raptors channel or the NBA channel or the hockey NFL or CFL or, or whatever it is, um, they trimmed out, in, in one, as far as I know, BBC or the, or the channel I was watching or probably, um, yeah, I think it was BBC One. I can't tell you. It's been a long time. Anyways, uh, they would trim out all the commercials and all the free throws and all that stuff. They would trim all that stuff out and just show you the game in in 15 in 15 minute blocks so that'd be commercial and then a 15 minute block which is a quarter and so basically you would watch i think you watch the entire uh nba game in probably like an hour and a half so like literally half the time you would watch oh actually maybe less than maybe an hour because it was 
I don't know if it was, I can't remember if it was commercial free. I'm pretty sure there might have been a commercial uh, between the quarters. And then, but you would watch the entire quarter, like, straight. Uh, but they would edit out all the free throws and any timeouts. It would be just, they, they, would, they would show you the entirety of the clock from the start to the end, which was really cool. And uh, in England back then, uh, there were only four channels. <laughs> it's funny because how much time has changed because uh, they didn't have Sky News or whatever like that. Uh, but there, there was only four channels, and at midnight, all the TV shows would be, be that would be it. It'd be it snow or bars, you know, and that would be it. So you have to go to bed because television was sort of not in its infancy back in I guess it was the early or late. I guess it was the early 90s was it i can't remember what whenever the game year of the games where the games were uh probably 97 maybe i'm guessing it's 97 i'm going to take a wild guess that it was 97 but uh but none, nonetheless yeah i saw jordan's matches against um stockton and the mailman for two years back to back and it was exhilarating and then watching that in, in a one hour span uh got me into the nba like made me excited because Going growing up, never appealed appeal to me. I never followed the Lakers. I never followed Detroit. I never followed any of the teams, and I, I never follow, followed Jordan or Magic Magic Johnson or uh, Kareem Abdul. Though I used to watch Into the Dragon and, and Game of Death, and so I knew who he was. And uh, well, Game of Death, but I did not follow any of that stuff. It's kind of like me watching Andre the Giant. I never watched wrestling until probably uh, until I saw uh, the Greatest American Hero. And he was an episode where uh, Ralph Hinckley, that's the guy who's the hero, whatever, anyways, for those who haven't seen it, uh, meets this giant man, and that's Andre the Giant. And I've never saw him. I never, I've never watched wrestling before. And Hogan just got the belt. So this is back in 84. This kind of dates me. But so I, when I first saw Andre the Giant, I was like to my father, he was like, I'm like, who, what is that? He's like, that's Andre the Giant. I'm like, why haven't I heard him? He goes, and he's like a wrestler. I'm like, wrestling? I go, I, and then from that point on, when I saw Andre, and I realized you could see him almost every other week on uh, on WWF at the time, I was like glued, because this guy, I've never seen a human being this big before. I'm really digressing here. Uh, anyways, the point of this was, I'm a huge fan of Adrian Brody, uh, and I wanted to correct the fact that I made some jambalaya uh, data miss, uh, bloopers here and there. So just to correct that little errors and errors in omission, and I want to say thank you again for the tweets and the emails to correct me. Um, I, yeah, I, I did say 14 years, uh, and he was like, well, that's six, 8 and 8 is 16. No, because uh, it was 6 years, and then, yeah. Anyways, it was a 14-year gap between uh, when he did Solo to when he did Predators, and that's what I was referring to. So, uh, and, and for those of you who have no idea what I'm talking about, if you watch our, sh our YouTube show or listen to uh, I do mention about uh, Adrian Brody's um, rise, so to speak, and, and how he went from solo to doing to being I considered a re well-respected actor, which he is. Um, there's a lot of films I have not seen of his. He's not. He hasn't done much commercial films. And I, I'm going off. I mean, The Brothers Bloom and some other films I'm a, I'm a fan of. I have it on Blu-ray, and I, I'm a huge fan of Rachel Weisz and, and uh, Mark Ruffalo. But 
But Brody, uh, he's, I mean, when he does work, it, it's really good. He's professional. And I look forward to seeing him as Pat Riley. Uh, and especially because when I think of Pat Riley, okay, uh, I, if I had to do a casting choice, personally, uh, I always thought, and I, I always thought of Michael Douglas, like Wall Street young Michael Douglas. I always pictured him playing Pat Riley. I mean, now he can't do it. I mean, he's probably a little too old now. But growing up, I thought, when I, especially when I saw Wall Street, I think I'm saying to myself, "Who he could be? He can play Pat Riley." Uh, and Pat Riley is, I mean, he's brought more people to the promised land, Hermes of Brothers, to uh, the NBA NBA Finals than uh, besides Phil Jackson. Uh, you know, uh, he he is he's almost like the goat. You know, for for coaches. So I I look forward to watching uh, that. And by the time you hear this podcast, uh, the show will be already on HBO Max or HBO. And you can watch it because it comes out in it comes out in I think March sixth is the series. It's a ten part series. I look forward to seeing that. And since I'm gonna jump into the show very soon, I just want to mention too that in regards to Solo, William Sadler. I always pictured him playing Coach Steve Kerr. Uh, well, actually, I was thinking well back in the day when I was watching Chicago, I I, I pictured Steve Kerr, uh, William Sadler playing Steve Kerr on the court because they look very much the same. So. Call me crazy, but you know, in terms of casting, I guess in terms of film and, and television, I was even in sports. I'm thinking if there was like a biography of so and so, Steve Kerr, William Sadler, uh, Michael Douglas, Coach Pat Riley, but Adrian Brody, I'm all for it, uh, and I look forward to seeing this series. It's uh, Michael C. Riley is um, it's, a, it's a, he plays well. You know what? You'll see the trailer's already out, and by the time you hear this um, podcast, for sure, the, the series will be debuted, and you can watch it on HBO Max. That being said, I'll get into the show. Rachel, let's save this squirrel, shall we? Okay. When you wake up, everything will be fine. If I die, I swear I won't hurt your house. Sterilize the scalpels. Do not lick any instruments. Patient's condition is stabilized. They're understanding human. He's understanding them in their own languages. <laughs> Going through the left ventricle, it's brilliant. Wow. Dub dub, forceps, please. Here you go. That's a piece of celery. Forceps, dub dub. Oh, sorry. Here you go. Still celery. Forceps. Carrot berries. Forceps. That's a different piece of celery. Got it. Forceps. No, still celery. Never mind, I'll get it myself. This Monday is family day. So I figured, why not do a family-oriented movie? You know, something family-friendly. Something we'd all love to see. I thought, Doolittle. It won a Razzie. Uh, it was nominated for a Razzie. And it's the film that Robert Downey Jr. did after doing Endgame. So I'm thinking, okay, well, how bad can it be? Well, here's the thing. I honestly believe that no actor, director, writer, wh whoever, ever wants to do a film that's bad, <laughs> intentionally. The idea of these animals uh, represents uh, people who are socially not welcome, who are outcast, uh, people who are different, um, you know, people who are, um, not necessarily, I won't say abused, but like just those who are... You know what what you see on the surface is not who they are on the inside so 
introverted or have issues or you know mental health in in a way that is very uh, positive in giving a message in that sense so the the film didn't escape me in the sense that these characters is a broad stroke to represent those who are um, you know who who I guess back in the day might have been ostracized those who are not like um, recognized for the differences and and it's sort of and it's tells the message is very sweet in the sense that it's okay to be different it's okay to not agree it's okay to be um, feeling different on the inside though for instance like the gorilla is supposed to be very dominant but on the inside he's very timid he's shy he's insecure and that's and it's okay to the expectations that's put on that society puts onto you is not necessarily um the right thing you know and, and you you are you you could be who you are and that's probably not a way to best way of me describing this film or, or what it is but in terms of looking at what the point of these characters were trying what the message was it is a message of positivity and it's okay to live in your own skin so that's uh, that never escaped me, so I understood that th there was a message behind these characters because it was very chaotic uh, in the sense that when you watch this, you can be very annoy annoying of these characters because there is no... Because uh, Hollywood or whatever you want to call it has a has a way of like okay this is how things are it's a little strange and he sounds like he's insane at times which he does because when he's talking to the animals in their actual animal sounds he sounds like a, a raving lunatic and then and then uh it, it goes into a really um east then you see him talk to the actual animals and this reminds me of a film and i, I recommend this film the 13th warrior with antonio banderas because banderas is in this film uh because there's a scene where uh, he's a, a spaniard and or I, I guess he's a sheik i can't remember where he's from anyways he he becomes the 13th warrior but these warriors are, i think are like vikings or or uh, Icelandic, and because he focuses focuses on their mouth and their lips, he's able to tune in and listen to what they're saying, and then he can speak their language. So, if you see that movie, it's the same concept. So, this is not a new thing. Um, uh, Doolittle is listening in on the animals, and then he's learning to adapt and speak their language. And then, as as we as the viewers see that skill set. Uh, and also his apprentice, which is what the movie is, it shows the the next Doolittle, if you will, who will take over, succeed him. Um, that's the idea. Uh, how he learns, it's actually through his lens that we see Doolittle. He is a he is our avatar into this world. So now this movie is based on a book by Hugh Lofting, uh, the story of Doolittle. I remember growing up watching the uh, Rex Harrison film in 1967. Not that I was born in 67, but I remember watching the movie. Uh, many many years later as a kid on television and I, and I remember taking my niece to see the I think it was 90, 98 movie with um, uh, Eddie Murphy and then uh, the sequel little two I rented that on video for my niece as well and that was in 2001 maybe or 2000 yeah 2001 the Doolittle 3 was in 2006 <laughs> I didn't see that and by that time she was growing up so uh, but yeah th there uh, okay, so Rex Harrison, it's a classic. Uh, you look at it now, it doesn't really hold up too much. Uh, it's, a, it's a very zippity doo dah type of uh, musicality to it. It's a musical. Uh, 
I grew up watching that I, as a child growing up watching that. Uh, yeah, it's talking animals. It's uh, very, I was very astute to that and I thought it was really lovely. I mean, I haven't watched that movie since, <clears throat> the 67 movie since I was a child. So I don't know how that movie would hold up now, but when it was received, when it came out, it was a classic. It's probably still a classic. I don't know. I'm sure it is. The Eddie Murphy movie, because uh, it's on the heels of the clumps, it, it's family friendly, uh, and you have Norm Macdonald, you have various good act, like voice actors or comedians doing that movie, and it was really good um, for what it was, because it was, it was sincere. I mean, it came from a place of sincerity, and, I, and you can see that Eddie really was transitioning into being a family friendly person. I mean, he has like what, twelve kids, so you know, like he 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 was he was. Um, he was no longer Eddie Murphy from Beverly Hills Cop. He was um, the the he would do like Daddy Daycare. He would do these movies. This is when he was in that that zone of uh, becoming that um, you know family and entertainer actor. And um, of course, he went he goes to what he does best, which was characters. So yeah, I liked it. Um, and I'm glad that Robert Downey chose something that was different i think you know he because he had carte blanche to do whatever he wants i mean he was the highest paying actor at that time in hollywood after doing endgame so this was the movie that followed endgame and he was the producer he he was one of the producers of this movie now um on the block i do talk about rex harrison's director uh, richard fleischer uh on something else um, i do mention Doolittle a little bit in regards to that so for those who are checking the website uh at www.pantheonofm.com i don't talk i'm not going to re reference doolittle necessarily i'm going to be reviewing something completely different but doolittle rex uh, and the rex harrison film is mentioned a little bit uh and i hope you like the read it's something these are these are things that i would do every year annually i've been doing this annually on the blog on my blog the weekly blog um and uh, I chose uh, something particularly. So don't want to give that away. <laughs> I'm quoting Evie. But if you watch it, I think you're going to like it. It's really good. Okay, so going back to this. Okay, so why this movie sucks. Uh, <laughs> this movie is... Okay, when, you first when I first watched... I had watched this twice. When I first watched this, I understand what people were saying. Like, this is not... Like, what's going on? Uh, okay, one of the biggest critiques that I'm going to say is his Welsh accent. Uh, it kind of fades in and out. Um, and then when he talks, he's, there's times when he explodes in his dialogue. And then, and then he kind of calms down. It's sort of like... Um, <laughs> Jupiter Ascending, Eddie Redman's Jupiter Ascending, where he's like very quiet, very, very quiet. And then he, blah, you know, like, and he's just very, like, he's just, well, he's not breathing out wrong, but like his, when he explodes into like a, a manic behavior, uh, and then he just kind of calms down and like, and talks in his Welsh, uh, gentle, soothing voice, uh, which is the majority of this, um, film, uh, it works. Kind of, it kind of works, but it's still kind of, it's just off, off-putting. But it is nurturing because he's a doctor. He's trying to nurture and talk to the animals. So that being said, it works in 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 this in what he was trying to do. Uh, the movie, um, you know, it, it cost 175 million dollars to make, which is insane. Uh, but it, I mean, it's on the screen. 
uh, you know, in terms of the CGI, in terms of like the actors who are doing like John Cena and Kumar, and you know, just um, you have some really good big name actors who are uh, or good big name stars. Well, I guess Cena now doing Peacemaker, he's making us uh, and the Suicide Squad, he's actually making a name for himself, but. Uh, oh, uh, Tom Holland is in this. You have a lot of actors who, high paying actors who are in this film. And Antonio Banderas as Rosoli. Now, uh, there's a thing I'm going to bring up in their shows coming now up, what I call like Zulu time, basically the point of no return. Uh, there's a time when I watch, uh, I made this, this is arbitrary, but it kind of works on the last eight films I've reviewed. At the one hour and seven minute mark, that's when I usually pause the tape or the sorry the, the movie and I'm and I establish do I like this movie or not? Is this movie does this film hold up? Am I entertained? Is this going well? Uh where where is this movie at for me? And at the one hour and seven minute mark, it's when he has his that's when the reveal is like how his how he's processed his wife's passing and the, the ghost that haunts him. And Rosoli, who is the father-in-law, who is like a villainous um, pirate uh, and one of the people who uh, sticks the tiger on him, um, he they have the moment where they come together and there's a moment of uh, clarity and reconciliation between the stepfather and him. And also, he unburdens his soul about the loss of his wife and what he's gone through and why and the reason why he's the real reason why he is in isolation from the world and and how he's shunned himself from the world and and, and it's kind of like the moment of moment of truth uh section so like the it's in terms of dramatics this was the pinnacle of where you want to be in terms of the payoff in terms of the story right storytelling i understand why it's a it's a razzie because when you first watch it you're like what's going on like and these animals are annoying they at some point you you have to check out because it's just too much it's excessive but as but i guess when you're watching this uh from a child's perspective so kind of like a wrinkle of time uh, i remember when i saw this in theaters wrinkle of time that's the ava duvernay's um film uh, she's asking the adults to look at the movie with kind of a tabula rasa mentality. Doing so uh, allows you to think like a child to accept what you're seeing, uh, you know, and because it's devoid of Christianity and the symbolisms of Christianity, and it kind of focuses on Buddhism, light and dark, and, and you know, kind of like how you look at the line, the witch in the wardrobe, the line is Christ, you know, and so they kind of change the narrative to be more accepting more broad based this movie going back to uh uh do little this movie does that too it's asking the the adults to approach this kind of with a tabula rasa um perspective you going into this with a clean slate and if you have an audience with children i think the audience i mean i never saw this with, with an audience in theaters because COVID, um, and also I, I watched this, I screened this recently, so I'm sure that if you saw this in the theater with children, kids, from what I understand, kids actually really gravitated to this, and I'm sure in time, this movie might find a really bigger audience because um, it caters to young children, and the adults uh, who look at this with uh, more of an educational perspective, a, a keen eye of like things that would make sense, uh, continuity, um, just a flow of things, really would 
break this down and critique this really harshly. And that's what happened to this movie. It was critiqued very harshly because from the point of view of an adult, um, it didn't connect with its audience. Uh, but for but for fun comedic actors who, uh, well, actors who do funny lines and animals who are very expressive, very young audiences would connect to this in a very positive way. And I think that was the goal, which was, which was the case for A Wrinkle in Time because adults hated that film. Well, the majority of adults hated that film. And uh, and I think the majority of adults did not like Doolittle. Uh, but I think children, who is the actual marketing audience, will cater to this. And for young adults, um, the message is very positive. And, uh, but it is gets lost in the, <laughs> in the jumbled mess of what this movie is. So with that, I'm going to say that this movie, um, you know, Rotten Tomatoes, it didn't do too well. It's underscored with the audience. It, well, it underscored with the critics. Critics really bashed this film. Uh, it's like, I think I got like 16% of Rotten Tomatoes with, I think, 53% with an audience score. So it's the kids who watched this. It's the kids who liked this. Um, it made its money back. It, it did okay in the box office. It, it, you know, it made a profit. It was $175 million. It's nuts. Though if you look at Cats, which was roughly the same amount, uh, it made only like $90 million, $75 million back. So, I mean, that was a box office dud. Uh, this movie made its money back. It made $77 million domestically. It made $245 million worldwide. So it did turn a profit. Maybe not huge, but it didn't go bust the box office. I mean, there was an audience for this. Kids liked this. Young children gravitated to this. So in time, like some cult classics where people didn't understand it, it finds its groove. It'll find its audience. So who's to say, you know, who's to say that I, it may not. Proof is in the pudding. It may do well. Uh, with that, I'm Ray. We will talk to you next week. Take care. Chichi, bravo. My brow as well, when you've got a second. Right, sorry. I'm going to come here and be Doolittle's apprentice. Her Majesty has designated this land a nature preserve. If she dies, the deed will be owned by the treasury and this place goes away. Shut down. Mm-hmm. There you are. Oh, still got it, Doc. Oh, wow. Ah, dear Cheech. That's the spot. Keep an eye on Kevin, shall we? He may be prickly when the anesthetic wears off. Revenge. Okay, okay, enough with the pampering. You need to go and help the Queen. There are things I no longer do. Work with humans, or leave the house. Or bathe. Oh, exercise. Express. Emotional vulnerability. Wake up, John! If the Queen dies, the Treasury takes the deed and we lose this house!